Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will bring a message entitled, Coming to God Together, will be in Ephesians chapter 4. And now, let's join Pastor Ralph. And the message is titled, Coming to God Together. And ultimately, that's what we're going to talk about, is, is being together in our relationship with each other and with the Lord. But as we get into this particular little part of the scripture here, there's, there, there's a, an interesting thing that some of you probably don't know about the Bible itself. And that is that the Bible was, really never came to us with chapters and verses. You know, in the New Testament, the four Gospels, we, we know that Mark, who was, was probably the young guy that was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested, and they reached out and tried to arrest him, and they ended up, he was, it's, the Bible says, he was wearing nothing but a blanket. They got the blanket, and he ran away naked. Everybody believes that is John Mark, who's the guy who went with Paul on one of his missionary journeys, got homesick and copped out. Uh, later on, wrote the Gospel of Mark. And Mark would have been in Jerusalem and would have been an eyewitness to some of the events that he writes about. But it's very obvious that he interviewed people who were there. And that's the first Gospel that was written. I won't get into all of them. But we know that Matthew, who was, uh, was with Jesus most of his, his ministry, and eyewitness to virtually everything, took Mark's gospel and used it as sort of an outline and then wrote his much more complete gospel. That's why Matthew's gospel is more than twice as long as Mark's. Has, has just about twice as many chapters and each chapter is a lot longer and you get a lot more detail as, as you look at Matthew. John uh, is a very close friend to Jesus, gives you kind of an up-close vision of Jesus, a little bit different than the others. Uh, Luke was a historian. Almost everything that Luke did was by interviewing eyewitness people. But as they wrote, they just wrote it as a history. They didn't write it with all these little breakdowns in it. Uh, what we call the epistles, which just means letters of, of the Apostle Paul, the epistle to the Romans, to Ephesians, what we're reading here, Colossians, Philippians, is to the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, the church in Ephesus. Just a letter written to this church. And, and this is a time when they didn't have email. You know, you, you might write a letter, takes six months to get there, somebody writes you back, uh, takes six months to get to you, takes another six months, you know, a year in between. And, and so these letters were precious, and people uh, read them and took great care of them. That's why we have them today. Uh, but it was only just a few hundred years ago that somebody, in the interest of making it easier to do church, imposed chapters and verses on the text of the letters and the text of the histories. That's why we have them. When they did it, for reasons that nobody knows, there are actually some places where they chopped a chapter break right smack in the middle of a sentence. And you go, what in the world were they thinking about? But right here, they got it really, really right. Paul had a characteristic when he would write to the churches of about the first half of the letter, roughly, was, was stuff about God. It was the good news. Uh, my, my friend Terry, where are you, Terry? From Australia. Why don't you stand up? I want you to turn to everybody just as loud as you can and give them the best good on you that you can. No, louder. A little louder. We got to hear it. Come on. Come on. Good on you, Mike. Now, does that make you feel better or what? You know, thank you. 
I greeted him at the door this morning. We had prayed together a few weeks ago about his house in Australia selling. He's been living here without his wife, bought a business and going at it, and their house wouldn't sell. They thought they had it sold, it fell through. And right after we prayed, the Lord answered the prayer. But as we were sharing, as he, as he greets me, he gives me that big smile and that good on you, Mike. And um, makes you feel good, you know? Well, that's really what the gospel is. The, the word gospel uh, comes from an, an English word, comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, Godspell. And it means it's God's time. It's, it's, it's good time. It's God going to do good things in your life and, and good things for you. And, and this is the announcement that, that is being made. And as the Apostle Paul writes in the first half of every one of his epistles, it's kind of good on you, mate. This is, this is what God wants to do. This is the grace of God. And, and as we've read Ephesians, he told us that, uh, that God looks at you and says, you are his inheritance. Did you ever think about that? That God appreciates you and values you and sees you as his own and as his own inheritance. Sometimes we're working so hard to please God that we forget he's already pleased with us. It's like a child coming into the world can do nothing, but the parents are terribly pleased with it. You know, the Bible goes on and says that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith and by no works. We can't earn our way to God. You don't have to earn your way to God. It goes on and says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you would ever dare to ask. It's talking about prayer. God is able and willing to do more than you are, 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 are capable of, of thinking about or even willing to, to, to risk yourself in terms of, of, of trusting him. You know, I was, uh, a couple of illustrations of this. One is one of my friends is, was sitting in church last night and I hadn't seen him for a few weeks. I told his story before, but it just reminds me of it. This man is Vietnamese, uh, born in America, raised back east, accepted the Lord about 10, 12 weeks ago. And he was a pretty rough guy when he came to the Lord. And, you know, drinking, partying, pretty hard. And getting in a lot of trouble. And the Lord has just drastically changed his life. And he shared with me how that uh, he led his fiance to the Lord. He met her in Hanoi. He travels, he's there right now. He left at two o'clock this morning. And so he travels to Vietnam about four times a year, and his job is to bring back MIAs. Sometimes it may be just a few teeth, and then try through DNA to figure out who they are, because the United States tends to never leave behind a soldier. He told me how he got a hold of a Vietnamese Bible. It was the only one he could find on this island. And he had his dictionary, and, and over the internet, uh, sharing back and forth, he led her to the Lord. And he was all excited about this. And then she wanted a Bible, of course. And it's illegal to have a Bible in Hanoi, let alone to buy a Bible. And so he found somebody who worked for the U.S. Embassy and found a way to smuggle that Bible into that country in a diplomatic pouch and uh, gave the Bible to the person. They said they would do it. This is a person who is pretty anti-Christ in their worldview. And so they took the Bible, big smile on their face, and went and threw it in the trash and never delivered it. Now, this leaves his fiance in a pretty tight spot. This guy has been a Christian like four weeks at this point. He's too dumb to figure out that you shouldn't have faith. We're all such sophisticated people. We know that we refine our theology around what we don't think God will do. And he's still kind of wide open and just trusting the Lord. And so they did what they would naturally do, having just, you know, gotten in the Lord. They prayed. And it took all of two days for the Lord to supply her with a Bible. Isn't that pretty cool? And he shared with me last night that she has moved to Saigon. 
She's gone back to live with her sister that she has fought with all of her life and that she's trying to lead her sister to the Lord. The sister is hungry. They're reading the Bible together and, 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 the, and, and the fiance doesn't want to lead her sister to the Lord because she's afraid she'll do something wrong. And she's waiting for Bill to get there so he can lead her to the Lord. And uh, that's what's going on right now. Is that good or what? You know? God is able to do more than we would ever ask or think. These are, these are good things. This is good news. The whole gospel is good on you, Mike. It's God wanting to, to come into your life and invade you with his kindness and, and, and his blessing in your life. But the, as Paul writes, the first half of Ephesians is all about what we have in the Lord and where we stand, the firm foundation that we have in the Lord. And then it, 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 and, and, it, and the guys who wrote the chapter and verses got it right on because it's just like split on a knife edge. The second part of Ephesians is, here's how to live a successful life. Here's how to be a good parent and, and, and make it work between you and your adolescent kids who are turning into little rebels that want out of the house because that's what they're supposed to be doing and you're struggling because you're supposed to still be teaching them how to get by and how to make it in the adult world. Here's how to, how to have a successful relationship uh, with your spouse. Here's how to get by at work and do more than get by, how to, how to succeed at work. He talks about spiritual warfare and the fact that we're in this contest that's going on and we're caught in the middle and, and how to deal with that and and it's all about standing on the foundation of who you are and what you have in the Lord, how to now proceed with your life and make it count for something. And, 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 in, and then it's going to focus on us getting together in our relationship with the Lord. Let's look at the first part of it here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, talks about living a worthy life and being called by God. He starts out by saying, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Therefore means, you know, always I'm hailing back to the past. I've just written these things, and because of these things now, then I beg you to do this. He identifies himself as a prisoner of the Lord, a uh, prisoner for serving the Lord, and he is, he's in jail, and he is, we believe, on his way to being executed. And he makes no bones about it, uh, there's no whining going on here. This is a man who understands that his call was to open up new territory for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's so interesting, the story of the early Christians. I'm, I'm reading a history of Christianity from day one to the year 1500. And as you read it, there's, there's just this handful of little people that are, that are really seen as, as kind of a, a cult within Judaism. And all of Israel turns against them. And they're trying to kill them. And then the whole weight of the Roman Empire turns against the most powerful empire on the planet at the time, wants to exterminate these by now few hundred Christians. And within 200 years, uh, Christianity had conquered Rome. And they did it without sword, without spear, uh, without a ballot box. They did it by uh, loving the people who were their tormentors. And, and so here's Paul. And, and, and when he writes to Philippians, he writes and says, you know, I'm in jail in, in Rome, and, and, but those people who are Christians in the emperor's household greet you. He'd been sharing the Lord while he was there in jail. And so he's well aware of his calling, but now he comes to zero in on us. And he says, I beg you to live a life that's worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, we usually take the word calling and 
we associate it with somebody who is a, a, a missionary or somebody who is a pastor or sometimes even a, a leader, you know, and a, a person in government. That's their calling in life. But the truth is all of us have a calling. And I'd like for you to turn, just flip a page backwards in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 to 10. It tells us here, it says, God saved you by his special favor when you believed. Special favor, grace, kindness that you didn't earn. He saved you by that when you believed in him. You believed in what Jesus did, laying down his life on the cross. He says, you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Get this down in your head. It's not a reward for the good things that you've done. Nobody can be good enough to be accepted by God. All you can do is accept his offer to accept you just as you are. This is the good news of God's love. But then it goes on and says in verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece or God's workmanship. God's working on us. Now here's where the idea of a calling comes in. God has a plan for you. He's shaping you. He's trying to make you into something. We're his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can, what's it say? Do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What are those good things? See, I think there's, a, there's a, an ever-present danger of us thinking that the good things that God wants us to do are religious things. You know, what, one of the problems that, that we have is that we don't really understand that what God's trying to do is take the salt out of the salt shaker. You know, he says that we are the salt of the earth. And, and you know, if, if, if we just think about being a Christian when we're together in church, then we're only going to think about living and doing religious things. And, and it's somehow being our duty. People get down that prayer is some sort of a thing that you do to please God. No, prayer is something that you do so that God can please you. And so we got to get away from this idea that the good things that God's called us to are the religious things. And we start, start to think, what does God want me to make of this life of mine? What does it mean that I'm his workmanship? I'm his masterpiece. I'm his inheritance. Because now that starts to have implications in, in, into how you live your life in your family. That starts to have implications in terms of your business life. I mean, maybe your calling is to start a business. Maybe your calling is to be, be married to this other person and have children together. Maybe your calling is, is the, the, the stuff that you do in the community. You know, my neighbor passed away the other day. And uh, it's a man that my wife and I had been praying for for a long time. That he'd have a closer walk with the Lord. We, we knew him. We always saw him as the guy we greeted. But we didn't really get to be too close to him. And, and then his wife passed away. And, and as a result, we, we ended up spending a lot of time with this man. And, and we're able to just really kind of help him come to life in his relationship with the Lord. And, and, but here's a man who, uh, he was written up all over the newspaper, sports page of the newspaper, for his contribution to our, to our community. Well, that, his calling. You know, what is your calling? What is, how did God make you? What are you good at? What are you terrible at? What do you love to do? What do you hate to do? Because all of that goes into making you, you. And God's trying to make you into a person who is, is completely his and completely functional. You know, we use this word dysfunctional so easy. God wants us to be completely functional. There's a, a, a person who wrote in the second century, a Christian writer, and, and he, he said, the glory of God is a person fully alive. 
The glory of God is a human fully alive. In other words, I'm living up to everything that God has invested in me and my life counts for something. And folks, I don't think that's a very religious thing. I think that starts to just play out in everything that we do. Now, I think part of it is going to be sharing our faith. My, my wife and I ran into somebody this morning that we have been, uh, she's a waitress in a restaurant where we go sometimes and have breakfast. And she had some problems a few months ago. And, and so we started going in there every Monday on our, our day off. And, and every time we get a chance, we just pray with her right there in the restaurant. And, and this morning, we were in, a, in another restaurant eating breakfast and she was sitting there eating and the waitress was going through some problems. And this person reached out, grabbed her hand and was praying for her. And we're going, all right. You know, there's times that it just, what we have in the Lord starts to just permeate our life. We're, we're trying to teach you to pray together in little circles so that it'll be easy for you to do that outside of this place. And that, that, that our walk with God isn't some churchy deal. It's just something that you do. And when people there's need, you spot it, you respond to it. That we would live up to a, a, a calling in the Lord in every way possible in our life. It goes on in the second part. It talks about allowing for each other's faults. He says, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. The word humble there means be modest. Don't be braggy about who you are and what you have and what you can do. You know, there's nothing wrong with admitting that you know something or that you're proficient at something or that you're good at something. But that's different than bragging about it. You know, I think in, in Hawaii, we, we almost wear shame and, and about admitting that, that we're capable of anything. You know, you compliment somebody on something that they do and they, they get all embarrassed and, and what have you. You know what you should do that's, that's, that's good manners when somebody compliments you? you, sh you here's what you should say. Thank you. Thank you. Because to say anything that tears down what they said is actually to detract from what God has invested in you and what God has made you into. And, and that we, you know, we, we do live in a, in a shame culture. You know, mainland, it's kind of a guilt culture. In Hawaii, it's a shame culture. And, and we get all shame about things so easy. And it's, there, there, there needs to be a place where I stand up and fully acknowledge who I am and what God has done in me. On the other hand, that I don't come to a place where I become overbearing with it and I start to look down my nose at somebody because I can do this and you can't or I got this and you don't or whatever. And so it says that we should be modest and we should be gentle. We should be easy to be around. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and, and we, we've become pretty good friends in the last couple of years and, and uh, we were talking and, and, and he said, you know, I got to ask you a question. He goes, somebody a long time ago told me you were intimidated by me. And I go, I was, which kind of, you know, he, I think he expected me to say, no, 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 I really wasn't. You know, the, the lie we always tell. So I just go, yeah, I was. And, and I go, why? He goes, why? And I go, because you're big. He's about that tall. And uh, you're very serious. You don't smile a whole lot. And if, if you're in conversation with somebody and you ask a question and they give you an answer, you pause before you speak again. Just long enough. You know, he's just thinking is what he's doing, as I've got to know. But there's just that. You know what I'm talking about? People who just kind of, they just, just, you know, it feels like their eyes are going to bore holes through you. 
And as I've gotten to know him, what I found out is this menacing looking person is actually a really gentle person. And, and he actually told me, he goes, you know, people in my own family say that. They say, if I put on 50 pounds, they wouldn't want to be in the room with me because I'd be so intimidating to them. But what I found out is this is a really gentle guy. And God's calling us to be gentle. This is part of being living a life that's worthy and living up to our calling. He calls us to be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Now, here's where it gets sticky. How many of you in this room would just raise your hand and say, I'm perfect? <laughs> now look around you at how many hands are up. Well, then why is it that you act like you're perfect so much? Why is it that somebody does something really good and you're going, oh yeah, but did you see that dress that they were wearing? <laughs> or somebody gets a, a new car and you're quick to point out the flaw. Or, 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 or they buy a new house and you go, yeah, but, but you, if you notice the paint is peeling around the eaves here. And there's always that, yeah, but... And, and, and we find this way. And I'm the worst person in the world for doing this. I mean, I'm preaching at myself this morning. Just ask my wife. She'll be happy to tell you. Um, but that we have, we've, we've got this thing where we set ourselves up as judge and jury over every circumstance that we're in. And we're always critiquing. And in the long run, it isolates us. In the long run, we find ourselves absolutely bereft of what we need the most is, and that's people around us that we love and that we, that we hang with. I, I, I talked to a friend the other night. He, he'd been on a trip, and he came back, and, and, and he was just absolutely miserable. He calls me up, and, 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 and he's a tough guy, and I know he's in tears. And he's just so frustrated because there's someone in his family who's, who... who will have virtually nothing to do with the extended family. And it's a big family, and there's a lot of love going on in this family. They're not all Christians, but they're all together. And they love each other. And this one person can be present with everybody and be all by himself isolated. And he's a person that anytime anybody's excited over anything, he'll find a way, an ingracious way, of punching a hole in their balloon. And he's always picking at everybody all the time, and everything is always somebody else's fault. In fact, including the fact that he's isolated himself. Now it's all their fault that, that he's isolated. And my friend was trying to, to do two things. One, he was just trying to get through him some common sense about how could you live your life for 20 years with these people and, and then be in a room and not talk to anybody and then sit there and feel sorry for yourself like it's their fault. And the second thing he was trying to do is to, to, to get him to uh, just come to the Lord because he knows the Lord can change that. And he was so frustrated because it was getting absolutely nowhere. But the net result of this person's judgmental spirit is they're all by their self. And that ain't fun. You know, I always think about, I, I, I look at my friends. I, I remember when I was in my 20s. And, you know, in the, in, in the, the world we live in now, there's kind of a uh, there's a return to this. Some of the party scene is getting some pretty weird sexual things out there. But when I was in the 20s, it was the big flarp was the one night stand, you know. And I was watching all my people have, my friends have all these sexual liaisons with different people all the time. And I, and I, and I started thinking, man, you're investing nothing. I mean, forget God. You're just not investing anything in your future. You're setting yourself up to be alone in your old age. And I would not want to do that. I would not want to 
willfully choose. I understand some people are in a bad spot they didn't put their self in. But I would not want to live my life in a way that I willfully choose to not have family around me or friends around me. You know, I, I see people that uh, recently, somebody I know that just, just busted out of their marriage because they just wanted to get into the party scene. And I think, you're just setting yourself up for loneliness. I mean, I want to live a life worthy of my calling. I want to live a life that pays off. I want to live a life where I act like I'm God's inheritance. And, 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 I, and I want to expect the good things that God has to happen to happen to me, but I want to position myself where they can happen to me. And one of the things that I need to learn to do is make allowance for the faults in the people that God has put in my life. Because I'm one of the people that he's put in their life. And if we start to be able to look out for each other and make allowance for their faults, then we're going to go places. And here's where he nails you. There's no gradation of, of, of fault here. There's no overlook this, don't overlook that. What he just says is, watch, watch it, read it. Making allowance for each other's faults. And then he says what? Because of what? Because of your love. Because of your love. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. When Jesus was asked what's the most important thing that you can do, he says, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 